podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, I'm Sai and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation. This is series two of our revamped and new look mental health and sports series. This time around, the series is focusing specifically on footballers. We'll be talking to current and ex-footballers uh, in each episode about their difficulties with mental health, addiction and similar subjects. And as I said many times, in the current climate of the world, talking about mental health issues is more important than ever. These shows are going to just be an open and honest account of some of the issues faced by these athletes at the height of their career, how it affected their lives off the pitch uh, and their families and things like that. Here at Ace Podcast Nation, we are home to many great shows and series featuring exclusive interviews, top guests, expert analysts and more. So we're... Uh, Give us a subscribe on youtube.com slash Nation. We do uh, live shows on football and many other subjects, MMA and all sorts. And you can also get the audio versions at the usual uh, podcast and radio platforms. Just search Ace Podcast Nation and you'll find all the, the different series and shows. And I'll put the links in the description as well, as always. Uh, but, but with no further ado, joining me for each episode for this series... Uh, is none other than mental health support worker, my co-host Jacob. Welcome back, buddy. How are you? Yeah, good. Yeah, good. Uh, I was saying, I was thinking, oh, I love these little introduction bits and what to mm-hmm. say. And I was saying uh, the first time in probably years, I went uh, did an online support group last night for parents affected by postnatal depression, and I was a bit like, mm, how's it going to be? But actually, it was amazing. It was, it was. It was great to get involved in that, and you know I love these sessions, but just from a different angle. Yeah, it. and um, it was a bit of a reminder how, like, you know, you know, I'm sort of out of that. You know, my son's now a year and a half, um, so I'm sort of out of that real difficult moments. But just chatting to a few parents that have had their kids in lockdown, it's, <laughs> it sounds so harrowing, and like just things like just little things we take advantage, like grant for. I think one of them was saying, you know with your firstborn, you know, so special and you can, everyone's saying how beautiful the baby is and you pass it around. She was like, no one's said my baby's beautiful and I haven't been able to pass the baby around and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's crazy. Nice. I think it's, you know, for me, it's I, it's, it's refreshing in, in, in a sort of dark way of just reminding myself how difficult, I know it's difficult for people, but yeah, it's... Uh, you hear it firsthand, I guess, don't you? Yeah, yeah, and hear it sort of, I think... It was over Twitter, so it's quite like people can be a bit more open, I suppose, because some of them are quite anonymous accounts. But yeah, I find it really helpful, and uh, it's the first time I've done one since lockdown. It's sort of done one uh, virtually, but yeah, it's great. The um, funny enough, like obviously uh, Andy Campbell, who's did one of these shows with us, and obviously does the football show with me. Yeah, he had his baby with his partner in the first lockdown, and. Um, it's a strange one because when I had my oldest, who's now 15, 16 in a couple of weeks, the day we got him home, we had visitor after visitor and family members and neighbours and everyone's coming and they're, like you say, they're, yeah, they're holding the baby, they're having a cuddle, they, they're talking, have a cup of tea and it's like you all, we had like a conveyor belt of visitors <laughs> and then the second child, it was like a little bit less and then by the time <laughs> the third one came, it was like just close family and friends. But it's you know it's just as what it is. But then 
in lockdown, especially recently, you can't have that. You can't have no. those visitors and people coming around. And I just guess it must be really difficult. And I was thinking the other day, like if you're a single parent yeah. who's having a baby in lockdown, it must be pretty damn yeah. difficult because that that first, particularly with your first child, that first couple of months can be quite horrific. Like, yeah. of course, of course, it's like you know, it's yeah. beautiful and it's nice, and you got your kid and you got your baby, but it can also be like really Especially emotionally if you're draining. Yeah, if you're having your own difficulties with mental health as well, I just you know, it's stressful, mate. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing, and I think. I think what will happen, hopefully, coming out of all this in the years to come, I think that time, you know, one parent said what I got from it was, you know, our bond now is really, you know, we've spent a Tight. lot of time. Yeah, it's really good. So hopefully that, the good stuff that will come out of it, these bonds are amazing. Yeah, yeah hopefully. That's, that's me. I'm all good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and our guest for today's episode started his career at St. Johnston before going on to play for Motherwell, Hearts and St. Mirren, among the other clubs. I am delighted to welcome uh, Kevin Twaddle to the show. Welcome, Kevin. How are you, mate? I'm good, thank you. Um, it's a privilege coming on and um, seeing a wee bit, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, quite exciting. Excellent. I should. I, I left out there. You're not only, uh, obviously, a former professional footballer, but also, also you can't take, put my teeth in, uh, also an author, uh, which you wrote a book, which we'll have a little chat about uh, a bit later on. Also, I read... Are you a professional pool player as well? Um, I'm an international pool player. I play for Scotland. International. Wow. Man of all trades. I was going to say. No, I was going to say the standard of Scottish pool. The standard of Scottish pool is actually brilliant. But I don't play. There's like an A team that is head and shoulders above me. I play in the lower Scottish team. Excellent. I like it. Um, So, Kevin, with these shows, what we'd like to do is basically... We have you tell your story in your own words and then uh, me and Jacob will kind of jump in here and there and uh, kind of have a chat. Um, you know, you've done a few interviews and you obviously you've written your book up talking about some of the difficulties which you had with um, with gambling and mental health or the effect that it had on your mental health during your career. Um, but before we kind of get right into that stuff, what I'd like to do is uh, for people who are not familiar with you, maybe they're not fans of football or not fans of Scottish football or whatever it may be, um, is in your own words, kind of tell us a bit about you, your your, your upbringing, upbringing, and um, you know your career. How did Kevin Twaddle get to today, basically? Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I grew up um, in a wee mining village in Banner Hall. My, my parents still stay there, just outside Edinburgh. Um, had a great upbringing, um, great family. Um, got a younger sister, twenty. Oh, sorry, she's forty. Um, and yeah, we're. We never really wanted for nothing. My dad was a miner. My mum um, worked in the bar trade until probably 1985. The pit went on strike and everywhere. I mean, it was a global. Um, and Kenny we suffered a wee bit through that. Um, no money coming in and stuff like that. But I never ever wanted for nothing. I was always very looked after. Um, and I was always decent at football when I was young. I played football when I was like really small, so 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. And I got to 15 um, and I had the opportunity to go and sign my hips as a footballer. Um, and I was a massive Hearts fan. And, and still to this day, I don't, know, I don't know why I never signed to play football, but I've been all around the world watching Hearts. I used to watch them home and away. I've been, as I said, been away to Europe and watched them as well. Um, 
there was a huge, huge fan. Um, and Hearts and Hibs have a rivalry for people that don't know. It's, it's like the Rangers Celtic kind of thing, maybe on a lesser scale. Um, and I don't know, I just a bit of stupidity, a bit of just stupid ego, and I had a massive ego with it, even at 14, 15, so um, pride, ego, all these things that have kind of carried me through my, my whole life, to be fair. Um, I never signed and ended up being a painter. My dad was a painter and my uncle was a managing director in a big company in Edinburgh. So um, I became a painter uh, at 16. And I can remember after a couple of weeks, I was working through Glasgow, which is probably one of the Edinburgh. And after two weeks, I think to myself, what am I actually doing? Painting. <laughs> the opportunity to be a footballer. Just, I think it was just, just how stupid a boy I was. I was, I mean, I was delusional. I actually think I was delusional from very young. Um, and the 13th, I can remember my dad um, putting a football coupon on, and they said to me about putting a football coupon on, and my memory is poor. I've got the worst memory in the world, but I'll never forget putting a football coupon on. I put a pound on, and it was a one-feet section, and it won. Never forget, £84 I got back. And I thought, wow, that's the start of my, that's the start of my career. Um, such an easy thing today. Let's, let's keep going with that. Obviously, through the, through the years, getting to school, playing cards, pitching toss, all these things, and I was kind of obsessed at a young age. Um, I was a horrible loser. I was angry. This was not a really nice individual. Um, and that carried on through when I was painting. Um, I went to into the painting trade. My dad worked on a few jobs with me. My dad through so much through my whole life, to be fair. But even at 16, I was coming back to the shops with all their money. <clears throat> that they gave me to go away and get shot at a youngest boy in the job, so I'd go away and get lunch. And you may be talking about 50, 60, 70 pounds going away and getting his lunches and going away and gambling it and coming back. And there was times I was rubbing my face off the side of the walls. I was I was making myself as if like I'd been beat up and, and everybody knew my dad was just he never said that he just proper he was proper just embarrassed at the boy I was to be fair. Um, and what I'd kinda of grown up into because mm. I had great morals and values but gambling at a young age, the morals and values soon went. Um, so I played football. I played. Uh, I went to watch football. I was still watching Hearts every week. I was painting. At 21, I had the opportunity to go and sign a junior club. Um, no, sorry, an amateur club. My friends said, "Why don't you just play amateur football?" And it was rubbish. And I scored. I scored a record. It's still a record to this day. But the standard was awful. Yeah, I mean, goals, but. And then the year after it. My friend who was a painter, I had started working with him. I came away to work with Roland Decorator to work with and I started working with him. He was a self-employed painter. But he was a goalkeeper for Dunbar United to a, a big junior club through Edinburgh. Um, and he said to me, do you want to come down and, and see if you like it? And I'm sure you could do a job. And So I went down there and I came going down there and I played a couple of trial games and they wanted to sign me. And it was my first involvement of being paid for um, playing football. I mean, it was only... I can't remember, I've got maybe about 300 quid or something on a pitch. And I signed probably two weeks before the season started. And I can remember turning up for the first game of the season. And I never had any money, and I never had any boots. I'd gamble on the money, and I gambled, I gambled on the money straight away. And I got a linear pair of boots, which is quite embarrassing. But at the time, I really didn't care. It didn't, I had no, as I said, I had no, I didn't know what was right and wrong. That's the thing. Um, but I signed there. Played nine games and scored ten goals, and um, to this day, I was down last week actually watching Dunbar. The first time I've been back down watching them, and I got offered to go down to do the draw for half time and um, a man in match thing, and that one. I just come to see all the people, and and you know what? I've, I've I've been so lucky to get to all the things I've done in my career, with the troubles that I've had, 
regards mental health, regards gambling, addiction. I don't know how I've ever managed to play football for 11 years and even done what I've done. Yeah, I could have done a hell of a lot better. I mean, I've waited to go so many huge places. I go there and all, but I went to last week and you know what? It's the first time I came home last Saturday and I was so full of gratitude. I've never seen so many people, older committee people. I mean, they were just walking about saying, people, this is like Dunbar's greatest ever signing. Dunbar are a huge club here. But you just, I mean, I was just a stupid young boy. I didn't really even understand kind of what I was doing. And, and I played nine games, so I went and played a trial game for St. Johnston on the Wednesday. Signed on the Thursday night, Dunbar, the representatives came up to St. Johnston and Perth, signed. And that was me. I started being a professional footballer. Dunbar got £6,000 for me, and they got 5% of the transfer that I that I made, which has made them a hell of a lot of money. Um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of where... I, I, never, I never touched a drink until I was 23. I signed with St. Johnson at 23. I was there about three weeks and started drinking. And I wasn't, I wasn't addicted to drink, but I probably drank too much. But it was just the culture, football culture, going out every weekend, getting hammered. And still be pretty well with the football, but my gambling was sporadically getting worse. Um, mm. It was taking me to some to some really dark places. Um, I don't think it, it, it really thing with me mentally. It didn't talk to me mentally. Um, I was always kind of lucky that wherever I moved to, and it's sad to say that every club I moved to, I moved for the reasons of financial benefit because it was digging me a hole where I dig myself with a club that I'd been at for a couple of years, moved to another club for a couple of years, and it just it went for there to Johnston to. Wraith Brothers, to Morton, to Motherwell, to Hearts, to St Mirren. And right through that whole career, I moved clubs specifically for the money. And the only, we were sitting talking earlier about, the only time I've ever moved for money, and the only time, and I don't know why, because money was the main benefactory of everything that I was doing, because of my gambling. The chances sent me in Sheffield United in uh, 2002. I went down there. Spoke to Neil Warnock, stayed in for the night, went for food with Neil Warnock and his wife. Next day in day, spoke to the chairman, um, organised my deal. I got a free deal with a year option. Thousands of pounds. Thousands of pounds for relocating. Thousands of pounds for signing on. Came back up the road and signed one year deal with Hearts for a year option. And I mean, anybody with any brains whatsoever, but I still think there was a part of me. I'm, I'm such a family boy. I'm, I'm a mummy's boy. I've, I was... Um, I was really close to my mum, Manana, who died just before I went away to, um, just before I signed my heart, and she died. Uh, and that crushed me, that, that actually crushed me because at the time as well, I'd been stealing a lot of money there as well, that's in my book as well. Um, things I things was just never ever, never brought up to date. Gambling had made me think yeah, just a horrible, horrible individual. Um, and yeah, I moved um, to Hearts for a year, with a year option, and after six games I broke my neck. Um, I ended up getting some nerve surgery, pins, screws in a cage in the back of my neck. And that was kind of my football, my football, club, my football career kind of curtailed. Although, I always thought, probably because I'm driven by all the wrong things, I kind of thought, you know what, there is an opportunity still to, and even mentally, even though physically my football, because of my neck, whatever, but mentally I still was in an actually all right place because I still thought I could get another move somewhere else and I could still make me money. And I did, I went mm. to St. Um 
and that was I went there for a season, and that the travel there was an hour and a half Edinburgh as well. Travel just killing me. Half Edinburgh just saved me. I was sort of struggling here. Um, to save you wages, to save me coming all the way through here and that level, work out a bit of a deal and leave. And I got paid ten grand to leave, and I got out of my bank as soon as I left. And the time I got home to Edinburgh, the money was gone. I'd lost it in Glasgow, the bookies, um, which not to be proud of, but that's, as I said, was uh, was lot more. And, and I still had that telling my mum and dad, telling people I would do money to ask, I'll do money, and never do money. Um, and then I would kind of think, you know what, I kind of, that was, th- I was 33. And I think then, knowing that I wasn't playing football, I kind of found it very difficult to think of what was coming after it. Now, I'd been a painter before, but you had a persona, a football player, like you could never go back to the painting because you were a football player. I ended up working with the police, doing them CCTV. Um, I worked in there for a year and a half. I lost that job through gambling as well. Um, and in 2000, October 4th, no, I tell you, actually, in July, in 2004, I tried to take my own life. Um, I could never sit in on my mum and dad's line on I was lying on my mum and dad's mattress in the living room floor. That's when I was sleeping about a nan. I never, never had a pot to piss in. Um, excuse the language. Um, mm. I was just, yeah, I, the lowest I've ever, ever been. I just thought, you know what, everybody would probably be better off without me. Now, looking back, do I think it was a cry for help? Yeah, because, listen, people want to commit suicide, unfortunately, when things are that bad, then they didn't let anybody know. I took tablets, I ended up going to the hospital, got my stomach pumped. I was in the hospital for a few days. But, you know what, I, I came out of hospital after a couple of days and I decided, when I was lying on the mattress, I decided that I'd had enough life and I decided I would never gamble again as well. And you know what, I tried to take my own life and I was in hospital for two, three days I was in hospital for. And I came out of hospital and the first thing I'd done was went back gambling again. Um, gambling had me absolutely beat. And it wasn't until I went through... In August, September, October 4th, 2005, um, I was with a partner at the time, I was with a girl at the time, she said to me, you know what, I can't stay with you, you're the things you've done in your life, you're the luckiest guy in the world, and you've got not thing to your name, you're just hopeless, and I'm no joking you, it was like, people always describe this moment as having a black hole, it was like I was going back to that place where I was lying on the floor of my, my mum and dad's uh, living room, so I lost the relationship, but I decided that night, um, I went home, sorry, the next day morning I went home, spoke to my mum and dad, and I broke down my dad and just said, I need help, and it's the first time I've ever seen my dad. My dad's followed me, my football career, all over the world, my dad's followed me everywhere. Um, he's never missed any games, and I've never seen that emotional, never. And he was absolutely broken. And he just said to me, he says, I'm proud of you. It's the best thing you've ever, ever said to me, the best thing that you've ever done, forget your football career. This is the bravest and the best thing I've ever done, and lo and behold, then I walked into GA in 2000, October the 1st, 2005. Um, and you know what? It was like a massive weight had been lifted off my shoulders. I walked into this place where there were people like me. There was people like me. Now, I can remember gambling. It's a thing I hear a lot about nowadays as well. as I can remember gambling for 18 months, and you know what? I was gambling to lose. I wasn't gambling money. I was gambling to lose. I think I was trying to punish myself. It's a weird thing that you hear most addicts saying it, especially with gambling, that you're punishing yourself just to keep punishing yourself. It's like, <laughs> you know, and you're punching the door and you go there, you, you put the broken hand and you go there, you go take that, you're sitting with the broken mm. hand. That's, you're just punishing yourself. 
yeah, I ended up going to the GA and for the very first moment I walked in, the best thing I got was hope. I never had any hope in my life. I've never had any hope in my life. Um, with the things that I've done and the people I've destroyed. Or, I mean, I'd left my mum and dad homeless if it wasn't for my dad. I'd left them homeless and I would have done that. Um, but my dad was a barrier between my mum and me and that's probably why. I never had a relationship with my dad. Never. He used to come watch me playing football. I would tell people he's proud. He would never tell me he was proud because he knew the kind of things I was doing. He knew the kind of ball I was getting myself in. He was something to bail me out a lot of these things. And, and <clears throat> in 2005, he bailed me out with tens of thousands of pounds. My mum and dad did because I was got a job squad. Um, and that was, uh, that's probably up there with the lowest end as well. Um, they they bailed me out with a lot of money. Um, and, I've, and it took me... It took me a few years, obviously, no gambling, whether he paid back, but it was all paid back. Um, and it was mm. how much money I was kind of gambling. Um, and yeah, but for there, I, I, I went in a and kind of moved through my life. I met a new girl. I got married. Um, and this is kind of where I think, this is the second, I would have to say when I was at Motherwell as well, I suffered anxiety and depression. I had, I had um, a thing called, you know, I've heard it, I had a thing called glandular fever. Um, so I missed the first three months of the season when I signed. I missed the first three months of the season, and just knocked me for six. I was I was absolute knackered. I had no energy whatsoever. I was I actually thought I was dying. I thought there was something wrong with me. But it came back and fever. I couldn't get on for three months. Um, came back to play football Motherwell in October, um, in '99, and. Just mental, and I played my first game. I played, scored, and won, won nothing in front of 62,000. Just crazy, crazy stuff. Um, and then he scored on the Saturday after that as well against Kilmarnock at home as well. So, yeah, I've been lucky in ways that but I can remember going to the docks, speaking to the doc about having anxiety and depression. And I don't know if it's been so low with having glandular fever, or it was just the exhilaration in the life I was living, the ultimate highs I was having through gambling, and the ultimate was. Now, this was like, in the three minutes, I could be high one minute, low next to gain minute. My missus has always said to me, my missus now says to me that I'm still an addict. She calls me the most addict guy in the world. I'd maybe like to hope I've changed that now, to be fair. But when I first met her, when I first met uh, my wife, Jack, she said to me I was so an addict. I just consumed by gambling, the ups and downs, the highs, the lows. Um, and then, yeah, that can that can um, I can suffer anxiety and depression or a few panic attacks, um, which obviously you'll know yourself. Um, mm. All panic attacks are, wow, you're just off the charts. Um, and in 2011, we were trying to have a baby. We had a marriage when we were sitting talking earlier on about people having babies and that love it. It's, it's quite sentimental to me. We had a miscarriage in 2011. Now, this was through IVF. Now, anybody who's never done IVF, I mean, you just think they're IVF. You can't have a baby for a couple of years. Go to doctors, can't have a baby, go on the IVF. You're guaranteed the baby. Hardest, hardest, and most painful journey. And this is where anxiety and depression took over for me. Um, we had a miscarriage at nine weeks the first time. Then, obviously, my missus had to go to the hospital, had to get taken out, whatever. And just traumatic, absolutely traumatic. Um, and actually thinking that when you do get pregnant, you're having a baby. You get the egg put in and you think, that's it. So we had seven eggs. So we had another try in 2012, had another miscarriage. 2014, had another miscarriage. 2000, no, sorry, it was 2010, 2012, 2013, 
2014, 
register Charlie, he's doing amazing, he's, he's moved to the amazing. Um, and I was sitting talking to him, and I've done a few runs on as well. See, running running is me the... Don't know what it is, it just takes you out in that world when I was gambling again. Eh? Just gives me that mm. peace, that serenity, things I've never had before. Um, and as I said, I'm still doing it now. Um, every couple of nights, I went there 5k, I've tried to be up to 10k, whatever, and signed up doing the half marathon for next year. Um, for sick kids that I'd said I was always wanting to talk about because my wee girl will be nowhere on the problem too. And so that's what I'm going to do next year as well. So <clears throat> that's kind of where I'm today. I hope that's gave you a wee bit of. Yeah, <laughs> no, this is, um, yeah amazing. Yeah, it's it. Obviously, there's a lot to unpack in there. there. I think. First thing I'll say is, uh, this is episode number seven, and um, just like listening to to you tell your story there, is uh, that's the first time where uh, I've nearly broken as I'm listening to someone's story because I related to a lot of it, um, been through a lot of the similar stuff, um, and yeah, that was, anyway. Um, but look, you've been through a lot. Obviously, um, there's been lots of ups and downs, and we've talked on this series to you know current and ex footballers about the the ups and downs of being a footballer. Because one week one week you're a hero, next week you're a villain. But I think gambling is like an extreme of that. Of you know, you can have the same thing with with drinking or with drugs or with anything. But but with gambling, you get such an extreme high and extreme low, and I think. It's almost like a, it's like a parallel off the pitch, because you can have a winner or a few winners, and you can be up, and it's the best feeling in the world. You feel so high, and then the next day you could lose more than you've got, and it's like your world's imploding. And I think it's it's so extreme, and it's it's. But one thing which I did really pick out when you were talking about the gambling was you said about you got to a point where you were just you weren't even gambling to to try and win money or to chase that high it was almost like you were punishing yourself and that was something which I could definitely relate to from a personal experience where I just got to a point where it wasn't like like I would have lost you know I'd lost too much to win back at, at certain points so it was never about like chasing that money back or or trying to chase the high of winning it was like my missus will find out eventually that I've spent all this money that I shouldn't have. So I was just punishing myself further and further. I knew it was coming. I knew I was just making it worse, but you just keep doing it. And it's difficult to explain to someone mm. who hasn't been through it. Why, why would you do that? Why, you know, that seems ridiculous to someone, but it's what you do. Um, it's, it's a tricky one. Jacob, like obviously I've got loads it? of notes. <laughs> yeah, you you jump in, was, mate. Yeah, no, I was right. Like it was great hearing you share some of your experiences and like you know, there's certainly hopefully people listening that will resonate with the gambling stuff, that might resonate with the depression stuff and some that just love football so they'll hear the football stories. But I think uh one subject that you brought up uh that we didn't really expect to talk about, but it's real topical at the moment, but also it's it's a topic that people specifically men don't talk about is miscarriage. I think it's something obviously it's in the news at the moment with Meghan Markle, but I think it's something where I think the general population in the UK think it's a mum thing, that, that it affects the mum 
and we need to be there for the mum, which is all, you know, completely true. But as guys, we don't really, you know, this is probably the first proper conversation, I think, as I've had about miscarriages. You know, I've had them probably with my partner privately. And what is that as a nation that we feel that it's, you know, I've listened to podcasts about it where I've heard other people talk about it. But I think it's something that affects so many people in the UK, but then so many people don't talk about it. And yeah, so I think, you know, with the miscarriage stuff, like I think the extra pressure, I think, from each one that it has on you, you know, to then, you know, this is another chance, you know, and that guilt and sort of shame that you get from after each one. How did that affect, you know, relationships, you know, with your partner at the time? I, you know, because um, it was tough. I mean, we went to my listeners would be happy enough to say that as well. We were lucky there was a woman in the hospital who does um, counselling for miscarriages. Now, we were seeing her after the miscarriage. Now, she had, had been through that experience, but she had a baby after it. So she kind of kept saying, There's still that wee bit of hope, there's still that glimmer, mm. there's still that. So you still had that wee bit, telling me they hoped something was going to happen, but the longer it kept going the longer, I mean, it's traumatic, and you're right what you say, I mean, anybody that goes through, especially IVF, I'm not saying that it's different to having a miscarriage normally, because it is, it's the most painful thing ever. Mm. IVF is such a journey, though, that it's not just a simple, you have sex, have a baby, this doesn't happen like that. It's, the, the, the process here is like a year, two months long or something before it even gets to the dent or whatever, it's just, it's such a long cycle of, and you're, you're on tender hooks for, you've been on tender hooks for five, six years, you love it, and there's no, I, I, I mean, I've noticed my missus changed, I changed for sure, um, but we were lucky with other women that was in the hospital, um, who, who really, who kept us together, to be honest with you, and Jack would tell you that, my missus would tell you that, she kept us together, you're so right, you're so, so right that, why is it that people can't sit talk? and you know what, I was one for, I share everything, I'm the most honest guy ever, I mean, I've done a book, I mean, my family didn't want to do my book. If things had maybe been different, what I, what I know now and stuff like that, maybe when I'd done my book, it helped a lot of people, which was what it was done for, but it also was to help me as well, and it helped me as well, which kind of was a wee bit the wrong reasons. But if I, if I got it now, would I done it? I probably wouldn't do it now, no. But I'm open and honest. I'm an open book. I want to help anybody. And if I want to start talking about miscarriages and how it's affected me, or, but yeah, I've got like, people who are really private or really... And even as a painter, which I'm, I've got my own business now, I've had it for 13 years now, I go to some jobs and we sit and talk away and someone will be sitting and talking to me. I can sit and talk to them. And the amount of people I've said to me last 15 years, wow, I've been through that as well. I've never said to anybody. Mm. And yeah, I mean, if you can talk about it, it gives you an opportunity to grieve and to move forward. If you didn't, for me, I, 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 would, I would have no chance to move forward. It would, have, it would have killed me or it would have put me somewhere that I probably wouldn't want to be. Mm. And I was, you're so right. I was chatting to someone uh, in this, uh, on this online session yesterday. And I said, I know it's a bit of a gimmick or, you know, it's said all the time, but it's so important to talk, you know, that sharing experience. But also exactly what you said with the midwife, hearing someone with shared experience, with lived experience, you know, the conversation opens up and knowing that you're not on your own is so important. Like, you know, that's why we did these sessions in the first place. So people could hear you know, professionals or people from the football world talking about experiences to make it normal. And uh, yeah, so I really appreciate you talking about that. Going back to sort of um, when things before that stage, when you're talking about like the gambling, stuff like that, you know, I know in your book you said like it killed, like that stuff killed relationships and it affected, you know, your bond with like kids and with 
was it because in the book it says you bond with your daughter is it is that yeah. stuff that yeah carry on no no on you go on you go sorry i was going to say yeah so like yeah, how did that affect the bond yeah i mean i, I mean gambling's probably affected every relationship that um, mm. i've had with anybody to be fair. um it's not until you actually come out, it's not until you actually come out of gambling and actually realize that gambling was never ever my problem gambling was only ever my solution eh? i just couldn't deal with real life i couldn't deal with life i was uh a footballer that was meant to deal with anything, I was a painter that was meant to deal with anything, and unfortunately people didn't know that, aye, I just, I could, symptomatic, I couldn't deal with life, so I, I could have turned to drugs, I could have turned to drink, I could have turned to whatever mm. it was, but gambling for me was the thing, even at 13 year old, I mean, there's things happened to me in my past that make me realise why I've kind of been an angry person, why I've never been fully fear, why I've had loads of pride, why I want to be right all the time, I didn't know why being in control, anger, Things that I've realised through my past that I've been lucky enough to speak about in the last nine months, it kind of got a wee bit understanding of myself. But I mean, that's took me 49 years for the programme. It's the opportunity mm. to live a better life today. And I would say, anybody in life, if you wanted to change, and I've got to a point in life in January where I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. It's a famous saying that I had nowhere to go. All I wanted to do was just lie myself in front of somebody and say, Help me, do anything you want to mm. do or saying you want to say. And when you become, when you get to that stage in life, it gives you an opportunity to, to have a life because I was living an existence. Even though I was not gambling, I was living an existence. I was still an angry person. I was still no nice to be about. I still was being great to my life. And all these things that in GA I used to speak about, about change, about being that better person, I wasn't. And you know what it's took me to now to realise what it is to be a good person, what it is to think about others before I think about myself every day. Um, and my daughter's kind of gave me a lot of that as well. I've, I've had that through my daughter's life because I treat my daughter different to anybody else, which I should be. My wife should come under that bracket as well, but I have more empathy and more with my daughter than what I have anybody. I don't know. But yeah, how does it affect your... Yeah, it affects your relationships. Um, because you're, you're, you're probably there mentally. You're sorry, you're there physically all the time. Mm. But most of the times I've been through my life, I've never been there uh, physically. But, uh, I've been there physically, sorry, but I've never been there mentally because I've been trained yeah. by gambling. I am, um, so kind of on that note, so in my own personal experience, when I was drinking and gambling, um, I did a, like a lot of things which uh, I look back on and it seems like a completely different person. Um, like before I met my wife, I like I, cheated on partners i just did things which i would never dream of doing now and i look back and i just think jesus like i really was like a completely different person do you look back uh at some of the things you did whether it's behaviors or or things that you did when like your mental health and, and addiction had a, a hold of you and kind of think like it's almost like a different version of you you know what the one thing that g has given me everything in my life today it's given me it's given me a chance to have a life again um and i would say anyone struggling with gambling if you want to speak to me or you want to speak there's there is help out there um the statistics for gambling just now in suicides is worse than what it is for drinking drugs which is for me is incredible um but there is people out there, there is that help there, there is that support there. I would, I'd, I'd, I'd drop a hat speak to anybody, no matter what I was doing. 
my missus says it's more, if it's a fault, then great, it's a fault for many faults in my life, being able to sit and talk to somebody and help somebody, any job they'll win. Is, mm. But yeah, you know what, Jay's given me everything. The one thing Jay never ever got rid of was guilt and remorse. I lived with guilt and remorse for a number of, number of years, number of years. And my my answer to people in GA used to be, I'm not going with tomorrow because what I've done in the past and I, I'll never ever want to go. And people used to say to me, but if you live with that, you're eventually going to go back to, you've, you've either yeah. got to get rid of it. And I used to say, listen, that's the one thing that stops me going with tomorrow is the person I just met. So I never ever, and you know what, it's 82, it's not, I had all these miscarriages, and on our last try for having a baby, I went to church, I started going to church. Never been to church in my life, never believed in God, never had any, any, God was, church for me was just that, my missus, a stout Catholic who goes to church every week. I started going to church and lighting a candle for nine months and having a wee baby. Now, even talking about that is, and you know what? The one thing that church has given me is being able to get rid of the guilt and the worst that I lived with. I watched my nana die and I saw every penny of her. Mm. I've done things that, I mean, I was never... I mean, my nana, I go to church, I go to church and take flowers down every year at the cemetery and stuff like that and sit for a wee while. I, as you said, I'm a changed person now. I can't forget, I can't forget the past. I never want to forget the past because it's made me the person on the day. I'm a good person today. I would never have been able to have opportunities in the day, the things I've done in the day. If I had yeah. done all these things that I've done, so as, as much as they're, they're horrible, I've been able to deal with it, I've been able to not forget it, but I've been able to kind of park it and tell you before, because I didn't have kill myself. Guilt and remorse for me, I was riddled. I, I couldn't have forward in life with guilt and remorse. I was totally and utterly remorseful for what I've done in my life to my mum and dad, to my sister, my wee niece, to my wife. My nana was dying, Manny Magnet died to got money off it as well. Just flawed. I mean, gambling totally and utterly destroyed me, but I wouldn't be the person I'm today. And you know what? I would think that most people would say that I'm a decent person to be all. I would do anything for anybody. And just, I got up in the morning, I did my, all the things I did, my, my 12 steps, and I got up every day. And for me, uh, it's not about me today, it's about making sure that. If I can be there for anybody else, be selfless, can just all these nice words that come into kindness, compassion, all these things I've never had in my life today. I live through these every day today, and I'm, I'm, I'm a very lucky, full of gratitude today for what I've got in my life today. I'm, I'm so, so lucky. Oh. I have all these things happen to me, but geez, you know what? I'm the luckiest guy of all what I've got today. Right? Yeah, it's um, uh, one thing I really take with you there is um, that without all the things that you did, you wouldn't be who you are today. Mm. Um, and that is, that's something which I personally kind of cling to a bit because I'm exactly the same as what you were just saying there. Like I look back and I, I wince at some of the, the things I did, the, the way I treated people. Um, and it doesn't make me feel good at all. But what does make me feel better is that I've kind of used it to become a better person and mm. to make better decisions and, and treat people how they should be treated. Um, but um, one thing I did want to kind of ask you about, obviously when you were playing football, it was like the kind of late 90s, early 2000s, um, how people view addiction and mental health now compared to then is very, very differently. Mm. Like 
I don't know, if we just pick any of the clubs you were at, if you had gone to, say, I know, the, the manager of Motherwell <laughs> and said, look, I'm, I'm having, I've got an issue with gambling, it's affecting my mental health, I need help, what would the response have been, do you think? <laughs> my manager at Motherwell was honestly probably one of the best managers I've ever Billy Davis, huge manager in England as well. Mm, yeah. Jeez, oh my word, he was he was mental, but mental in such an amazing way. I couldn't even imagine I'm such saying to him, listen, I'm struggling with gambling, I'm struggling with being like Jesus or shake. <laughs> I mean like it's no but Jesus or shake, it's actually I'm struggling here, but oh nowadays compared to days gone by, I mean Mental health is prevalent in football now, it's huge. Players are able to come out now and say, listen, I'm really struggling. I can remember sitting talking to the club when I was at Marwell in two, sorry, 1999-2000. I can remember sitting to the club, talking to the club, talking about having panic attacks, anxiety, depression, and I can't Not in a bad way, he was old school, he was a really old doctor. Lovely, lovely doctor. But I can't think he looked at me and thought, is this boy actually for real? Anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. it's been for a living. It's the best job in the world. Every kid wants to... I don't think people would, maybe would have understood, but you know what, there's been a lot of people, people that have came out through the years, whether it be anxiety, depression, gambling, alcohol, drugs, just people who have been really struggling, and through the years, society's gave you an opportunity to say, listen, I put my hand up, I, I didn't mm-hmm. feel good, I, I need a wee bit of help, and you know what I say to everybody, and I still say it to this day, you know what, you can be the hardest guy in the world, you can be the softest guy in the world, you can be... It takes such a brave, brave person to put their hand up and say, I need mm. a help. And I take my heart off to absolutely anybody. Because I tell you, I always say to anybody, it's so easy to keep doing what you're doing. So easy to keep spunking your life away, keep doing what you're doing. The hardest thing you'll ever have is put your hand up and say, mm. really struggling, I need a wee bit of help. I take my heart off to mm. anybody that can do that. In life just yeah. now, you're getting the opportunity to do that just now. Mm. Kevin, um... So I was lucky earlier in the year to interview a Scottish player called David Cox, who has come out and spoken about some of his mental health uh, difficulties. And I think he came out and spoke about some of his difficulties whilst he's still playing. And I think it became a big news story because he received a lot of uh, abuse from fans regarding his mental health. Does it, like When you wrote the book, obviously... I think you you would finish playing, but did you did you ever receive any sort of abuse or any sort of like negativity from it? You always get you always get couple of these people who have been kind of I don't know why they've ever wanted to be playing football stuff. Like people have got a jealousy. It's just it's life. People didn't especially Scottish people believe it or not. Scottish people didn't want to take the good in people. Scottish people always want to bring people down. It's like a like a lot of English media. They build them up to be the greatest football team in the world. As soon as you get beat, they want the man just sacked. They want all the boys. It's just media is just, but ah, you're always got to get people. I had a couple of people who said, you know what, I came, he was a knob in the day, or he was an idiot, or I done this and done that. And I was, I was more taken by the amount of people that my book sold more copies in America than what the amount of people that had, which I didn't know until obviously I had the first seven pages in the Sunday Mail in Scotland. Um, they had the, they had the, the abstract things from my book. Um, the week before the book came out, and it had my picture of me beside my painting van with my name and number on it, and I was receiving all these texts and that when my book came out, and people reading the Sunday Mail, and people texting me from all over the place, England, America, and I'm like, you know, these, how many people get murdered? I, I, I was that naive, I just kept texting people back, it's brilliant, thanks for your words, great, never thought that, eh? it wasn't until maybe 
a wee way left about me, but I thought to myself, why are all these people like, texting and thinking me? And it wasn't until my, my mate said to me, my mate said to me, Eddie, you're, you're starting to say your mum, your number over the side there. <laughs> so all these people were texting me, and I was so yeah, listen, you're always going to get people who want to bring you down, that's like, people... Yeah. I just, I just try to concentrate on bringing the best in people, wanting the best in people. Love. There's too many people in life want to, for me, anybody can come out and say there's something, or anybody that puts their hand out to people, and it's, it's the greatest gift in the world. Spot uh, a regular viewer of uh, the show and uh, the channel uh, sent me a question for you. He said, um, his, his name's Gaz. He said, uh, Kevin, great book. Really enjoyed it. Made me laugh and cry. Um, he said, uh, also, are you glad that online gambling was not so prevalent when you were a player? Yeah. Thanks very much. That's so, so kind. Um you get any kind of nice feedback, constructive feedback, so really nice. Um, yeah, um, I, I've, I've been open and honest about it. I'd have been in jail. If, if online gambling was, I'd be in jail. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, you're betting on first corner, first bookings, first sending offs. Uh, I'd have been in jail. For, for, I mean, in the state, my, the, my state of mind, where I was, I'd have been in jail. So I'm, I'm so, so glad that I did have the opportunities to, um, to gamble online because if I had off, and uh, my, my football career would have got by all accounts, putting that used to be £100 spend, you get £2 spend. Five years ago, I'm lying there, you know, £100 spend. It doesn't make any order. Yeah. You get paid that much money for the government and stuff like that. But, yeah, my views are, they want to start running that one. But, yeah, I'm so glad I didn't have the opportunity to um, find all the stuff to bet on now because, yeah, look, listen, I know ideology talks through here on a day, five with people who are big in football as well. I have the opportunity to, to spend time with them because it's a wee bit harder for them to get a bit of help and stuff like that. And, listen, people... Um, Yeah, I think um, when we spoke to Keith Gillespie in the, it might be the first episode, uh, obviously he talked about uh, his difficulties with gambling um, during his playing career. And I think, Jacob, you said that um, you think after all this COVID stuff and, and lockdowns and everything's finished, you might find more footballers, uh, particularly the young footballers, with mm. with uh, with gambling problems coming out with it and mental health problems because of it just because they got so much money they can't go anywhere they can't do anything but they can sit at home and they can gamble and you can what was it Keith, yeah. Keith Gillespie I think he said he lost like um, at that point he was uh, he wasn't online gambling but he was able to phone his bets through mm. and once he was able to phone his bets through he would lose like forty grand in a day mm. he got his big move to Newcastle and to Blackburn and he was. You know, twenty grand in a in an hour, like just because he could phone it through. It wasn't he didn't have to go to the bookies and physically do it anymore, and that just becomes really problematic. And I I I worry 
after what 2020's been like in terms mm. of lockdowns and things, what we're going to come come yeah. out to in the next I, couple of years. I was chatting to someone exactly like we were having this conversation. And I said, um, the, unfortunately, the damage that's going to be made to you know England, Scotland, Wales. I think long term we'll see it in the next in 2021 in the next two years because that first lockdown. You know, for say a professional footballer, not really, not really. You know, maybe a League Two or a League One player, they're not really uh, doing much training. They're doing most of the League One and Two players. That first lockdown, we're just doing running, running and yeah. cycling, and not really engaging much. So, if you're a young player, you've got a lot of time. You know, being a professional footballer anyway, you've got a lot of time in the day to gamble. But in that first lockdown, it's a real, yeah. It's a real issue, isn't it? Um, and see the thing about see the thing about sorry, see the thing about gambling as well. Gambling. Paul Merson done the follow from about what a wonderful human being as well. But he was he was life with all addictions, and he said it, and it was so true as well. I mean, you can see somebody coming down the road that's struggling with drink. You can always tell an alcoholic. You can see them. You can always tell someone that's on drugs. You can see them coming down the street. Mm. You know what they're doing all the pain and suffering that causes as well. Especially anybody that's doing it in shops or doing it online. But as you said just now. Yeah, you'll probably find that most people know. I mean, it's constant. Eh? You know, constantly foxy bangles. Even women, mm, uh, women get It's everywhere. And, yeah, it's everywhere. So. All over football kits. Fup the well, the football league is sponsored by Skybet. You know, it's um, and I, you know, don't get me wrong. I know football football needs investment. It needs sponsors, but I just I do question the. Yeah relationship between betting companies and and the football associations i'd be, I'd be really interested you know obviously they stopped the sponsoring from cigarette companies the long mm. like financially long how much it costs the economy uh in sort of loss of you know how much gambling costs as in the loss of gambling or of how it affects families um repossessions and stuff like that how much yeah. it costs the taxpayer you know the economy compared to smoking and dying of uh cancer um lung cancer or something like that yeah it'd be because, interesting wouldn't it because you know if you look at also if you look in working class areas working class like town centers there's four or five you know bookies when I was a kid, there's probably one, maybe, in our area now. Is you know hundreds of them, and they're never empty, mate. Yeah. No matter what what time of day it is. Um, I was going to say something. I've completely forgotten what it was now. Oh, um, right. Um, I suppose just because I know we're coming to yeah. What sort of advice would you give to sort of any sort of young person maybe listening to this, uh, thinking you know maybe I've got a problem if that's weird addiction or sort of their mental health what advice would you give them it's always it's always easier to say it when you're sitting on the thing you didn't mm. think there was anybody there and i was lucky that i mean see, i was lucky when i found help in ga there was a young boy who stayed in my village who played the man united and stuff that boy got up down there played with hibs and stuff like that up here as well and he kind of led me to my meeting but nowadays i mean you can see there's so much help out there nowadays for for people um I mean, if it's if this is my Todd Southern or Twitter, if anybody ever was struggling, or a chat, or just even a wee bit of help or support or guidance, or yeah, but there is help out there, there is support out there, especially for for gambling, but especially for mental health. And you know what? Mm. I would, I'd recommend anybody that's so brave to come out and say your struggle, no matter who you say it to. 
take my heart off to anybody that does it. So anybody who hears this and thinks, you know what, I'm, I'm maybe need a wee bit of help or they're sick and tired, they're sick and tired, reach out and it is there and you get so much comfort to realising that you're not the only person that's struggling with this kind of thing, whether it be mental health, whether it be, because everybody struggles with mental health, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how strong or how mental health is there, it doesn't care who it affects, it will affect you. And I think everybody in life goes through tough times and has moments where, um, and there's people obviously a lot worse off than others, but nah, just, just reach out, be brave, reach out and give yourself a real opportunity to have a better life. And, um, especially gambling as well, yeah, gambling is an existence, it's not a life. And the way is, the amount of people that you take down with you, you just didn't even realize you're doing it, and it's just, it's just horrible. So. Yeah, reach out. I'm here. There is, there is G's all over the world. Um, it's there is lots of support there, but yeah, just be brave enough to reach out to say thank you. Spot on. Um, just to finish us off, uh, Kev. You mentioned your book a couple of times, which I'll also put a link to it in the description so people can uh, purchase it if they'd like to. Um, kind of tell us a bit about the book, and also then tell us why. What made you decide to write that book? Um, I was doing a piece for there's a boy who's been really close to me through my football career. He works for the, the Daily Star, Scottish Express up here, that's the Daily Star. Um, he was doing a piece on gambling, um, and I was to do a, I was getting paid for it. It was a twelve hundred page thing, and I done this and I gave him it, and he came back to me about half an hour later and said, "Well, you've done a few books. You wrote Alan McCoy's book. A few Scottish players have done books for." He said, "You know, like to be a book," and I thought to myself, "A book." <laughs> it's like I think companies would be, and it was amazing. It was two companies fighting for the new book, for to get the rights for the book, publishing the book. Just, yeah, listen, it was listen. I still had, even although I stopped gambling for a lot of years, I still had a lot of ego in me, and I was still a wee bit to get myself back to public eye. And as I'm saying, if I got offered the book, I wouldn't have done it to be fair. Or I'd have done a book in a different. The book was called, and it was meant to be called. Um, Life on the line. That was what the book was called. Life on the line. Life on the bookies line, obviously. And then the publisher started saying, "You have to. You've mentioned how much I've lost and stuff like that, and, and it got put out on it. Um, how to lose a million and so much more. The how to lose a million means nothing to me. There's so much more. The life on the line and so much more is more what the book talks about. It's not about the money I've lost. The money's immaterial. It doesn't matter whether you're making a hundred quid a week or a hundred thousand. It didn't matter. Whatever I had, I was gone anyway. So it didn't really matter. But no, I've it, done, it, done it primarily to people, let people know there is any help out there and just be honest and put yourself out there. And it's some, some incredible feedback, an incredible feedback for it. Mm. Um, looking back, if it had to be now, after the these steps and stuff like that, I would have done it probably. So there was reasons Sorry, Kev. Can I ask you, you said looking back now you wouldn't have done it. Is that just... Because you you've basically like you've changed the way you look at stuff, or is there a more specific reason why you wouldn't have done it? My family and that didn't want me to do it at the time as well. My mum and dad wanted me to keep on with doing it. It was bringing up a lot of things that they didn't know about. Um, mm. They read, they read stuff in it and they told me after it as well. They read stuff in it and didn't know and it gutted them. Um, my wife said to me at the time, "I'm still with now." Obviously, she didn't want me to do it. She didn't want to be involved everybody at unlock. She was hiring the bank and she didn't want any of it. But I just had that summer book me where. I kept saying, you know what's to help people? It's to help people. And it was to help people. There was a party to be to help people, but listen, if I'm being honest, there was a big party, the opportunity to sell back in the lights again for all the wrong reasons. And I, I never really kinda of realised that until this year's been an eye up after I stayed back in life. And it's nice I can be honest at the end of the day. I didn't have to I can sit mm. here and say, 
it was it was to help people. There's no doubt in that, um, and it's helped a lot of people. So it served its purpose, but um, I mean, more so because of my family and my mum and dad. And I mean, the world to my mum and dad just now as well, which is not help. And so yeah, there's a big part of me thinks now. I, I probably wish that, that it hadn't been done, but it's, it's served its purpose. It's, it's been a lot of years since it's been done. Um, I've changed. There's a lot of things I've changed through gambling as well. So. Um, Amazing. I'm really looking forward to reading it. I'm uh, I'm just disappointed that it didn't get here before I get to got to speak to you. Um Jacob, is there anything else you wanted to add, mate, before we no, sort of I wrap loved up? It. it was really helpful and I really appreciate uh Kevin talk about some really difficult uh subjects. So uh, all the best for the future. Thank you so much for coming on, it's been amazing. Thanks, Jacob, for your stance. Aye, thanks very much. I really, really appreciate the opportunity to put myself out there. And you know what? If there is anybody out there stubborn, or as I said, my Todd Sivan's on the thing, I'm, I'm happy to get him with my number and be with anybody. So do things do like this give people the opportunities to do things like this. So do you still play now? No. <laughs> I, do run, I, do, I do run in every second night. Um, I played a couple of charity games, to be fair. Um, I played a couple of charity games. But you know what? For three, four days after, I wonder why I played even like forty-five minutes because it's I my joints are. Uh, but if I'm being honest, you probably thought in the last maybe six months I've actually thought about maybe playing fives and stuff like that because yeah, yeah. obviously try to look after myself a bit better as well. So um, I've um, I got a pal who's a a Motherwell fan. And um, he, when I told him that we were having a chat with you, he said um, <clears throat> Kevin Twaddle was one of the the best uh, Scottish players I ever saw that didn't play for Rangers or Celtic. So I oh. thought that was that's quite the uh, quite the compliment, isn't it? That means a lot. I think that was obviously one of the best years. Well, mother well, I mean, I spent four years there. I was captain in the Premier League. Wonderful, wonderful clubs. Really wonderful people. The supporters are incredible, and you hear things like that. I because. As I said, I went to Dunbar on Saturday. I, I, I honestly came away. I could have cried. I come away thinking to myself, wow, I must actually be all right. <laughs> I was a young kid. I was so naive, so stupid. And you didn't even think about the revenue you bring to these clubs as well, moving from club to club. And, nah, just so, so, so grateful for the opportunities I've got today. So I'm grateful for this as well. So thanks very much. Spot on. Um, Kevin, thanks so much for talking about everything and being so honest. I appreciate it. I know it's, it's not always easy to talk about all this stuff, but. As we've discussed on previous shows, we discussed earlier, our aim with this series is to for people to see footballers, for people to see myself and Jacob talking about various issues which can affect people. And if we can reach that one person who is struggling, whether it be with gambling or drinking or just mental health generally, then that's the aim. Uh, just realise you're not alone. And uh, as a good friend of mine says, keep on keeping on and... Uh, if you feel like you need help or you need just someone to talk to, do it. Reach out to, to me, reach out to Jacob, whoever, whoever you can think of who will listen. I will all, I respond to, uh, to every message I get sent, no matter who it is, even the ones that send, send me abuse. <laughs> Same here. But uh, well done, guys, so, after the two years, well done. It's brilliant what he's done. Really, well, cheers. Thank you, mate. We just uh, got to try, you know. Um, uh, and we'll be back next Sunday for another episode, and uh, we're going to keep doing them. Uh, for the we, as we say, we extended the series from, I think, was it five to at least ten, 
and then uh, we'll see. We'll definitely do another series later down the line uh, on different subjects and things like that. But uh, new episodes every Sunday, 8 o'clock. And, of course, you can get the Andy Campbell Football Show live, 7.30 Monday. Danny Batten Fight Show on Wednesdays and the Andy Campbell Championship Show on Friday, plus numerous other uh, series, shows on various subjects. But uh, in the meantime, spread the word, look after each other, be kind, and as I always like to say, don't be a dick. Podcast Network.